and be sure to access the link in this episode for access to all its giving content. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, hosted by your boy, Brandon the Introvert. In this episode, we'll be discussing P-Valley Season 2, Episode 3, The Dirty Dozen. Now let's start the show. So for this episode, we're we're on Episode 3 already, and we're already getting into the Dirty Dozen tour. Uh, the tour with uh, Keyshawn and or Mississippi and Lil Murder together, you know, as kind of a fake little couple going on and they're hitting 12 cities. And I actually took the liberty of looking up those cities, which are because I was really curious. The cities are hitting are Mobile, Alabama, Jackson, Mississippi, Little Rock, Arkansas, Memphis, Tennessee, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Biloxi, Mississippi, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, Clarksdale, Mississippi, and New Orleans. So they really hitting the dirty, the dirty South. So this is the tour they're on, and we just this is the start of it. It seems like I don't know if they hit all the stops yet, but in this episode, it seems like they hit at least most of them, or at least half of them. But anyway, this is episode three. It is. Uh, it was directed by Christine Swanson and written by Kimiondo Cotino. And yeah, so let's get into it. So the opening scene, we're taken to uh, the new Paradise Room. It's completely tricked out, red and blue alternating lights. Like it still has that cloud feature going on. I think the first Paradise Room definitely had a classic touch with the clouds on the ground and stuff like that, and kind of like the softer lighting and the softer feel but i like the the new paradise room too it kind of like it's it has a softer feel but it's a little edgier so and the swinging pole is pretty cool too it gives me anxiety but i think it's still a cool touch but i don't think it's as um magnificent let me use that word magnificent as the first one so yeah we're taking to roulette dance for a customer in the new paradise room and things start to elevate. She strips all the way for him. And I'm not sure if we've seen any of the dancers from the paint uh, strip completely naked. Like, even in the Paradise Room, definitely titties out. But I don't know about completely naked. I'm not sure. But anyway, as she's dancing, he asks her to take her mask off and gives her some more money for that. And then she does, and then he goes further and asks, like, can you give me some head? And then Roulette at first tries to say, like, you know, uncle a rule, you know, if you hoe, you out the dough. And he persists, and she asks him for, like, a brick, and he gives the money to her, and she proceeds to do that, to give him head, pretty much. Now, I feel like in this season, we're going to see what happens or the what happens to the club and how uncle clifford handles dancers that break his break her rules sorry and uh i don't know i feel like uncle clifford has had to have gone through that before uh with rule breakers but maybe not as intense as whisper and roulette because they seem really intense and they got like the talent to match it so i think it's going to be interesting to see how uncle clifford handles them and what happens to dancers that break the rules. And maybe we can get a little bit into the 
I mean, there's obviously a surface level rationale to his rule. To oh, I'm sorry, y'all. To her rule, it's the uncle. I swear, it's the uncle. To her rules, but um, maybe we can see the real. I guess the method to the madness behind her rules and see like, you know, you know, I can see her saying like the last girl that broke this rule, blah, blah, blah. like I want to kind of get into that. I want to get into the history of the dancers, but who knows? We'll, we'll see where we get taken to with whisper and roulette breaking all the rules. Now, next we see everybody counting cash for the night. It was a good money night, but Mercedes is lacking. The rest got their money, but she kind of, you know, got half a bag pretty much. And she's going through a lot. I was thinking her age could be a factor. I literally, right before recording, I literally saw a tweet from Katori Hall, the creator of Pre-Valley. And she said that Mercedes is actually 29 going on 30. I thought from the pilot when she was like 25 is around a uh, retiring age for a stripper. I assumed that she was, her character was 25. But according to Tori Hall, she's 29 going on 30. So that really means she needs to get out of this strip game. So I feel like her age is definitely a factor. And her spirit also, like she's been traumatized with them ghost spirits in her shoulder, shooting a man, him dying, then dealing with uh, her dance studio. Uh, we're going to get into that in a minute. Then dealing with Terica, like. She's stressed. Like, she is stressed. She's stressed. So that definitely probably uh, has an effect on her performance, at, you know, and her energy, too. So she really needs a vacation. She really needs a break from all of this. And, I mean, but it you can't get a break. Prices are rising. You got to take care of the daughter. You got to take care of yourself. You're getting old. Like, so it's a lot going on for Mercedes. And we see that when she pulls up to her studio space in the next scene, and we still see it's a work in progress. Literally, all it's an empty mall lot, and I feel like we've been seeing more and more empty mall lots, especially in the South. Especially when I was living in North Carolina, I see there was just a little bit more, unless it was like the high, fancy, like uh, what was it called? Uh, fuck, Southside? No, South. Damn it. I used to, it's the, the big mall in Durham. Y'all, if y'all know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Do something. No, it's the big mall. In, I can't believe I forgot the mall. But anyway, it's a huge mall in Durham. Um, look, there's a Maggiano's. There's an Uncle Julio's there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And um, South Point, I think it's South Point. I think it's South Point. But yeah, unless it's a mall like that, like where you got to stack it on top. And usually it's a, I feel like a, couple of people that own the whole conglomerate or whole complex unless it's like that where it's like a lot of modern stores and you know it's like have a super mall of sorts you're i feel like a lot of businesses will just shut down especially when you're in the deep south in mississippi so we see there's a lot of businesses closed and the last one remaining that's next to mercedes is closing down or at least moving themselves and we see there's rent for sale all over the place so now it's like can she sustain this space? Can, does she? Will she have the money for it? Like times are tough. So, and that's another reason why I, I'm for Katori Hall and them putting and including COVID into the story because we're still dealing with it. It's one thing to be in oh shit. Hopefully, it's over by then. But it's one thing to be in 2025 
and you know COVID's over and I don't know they decide to include COVID for whatever reason but we're living in it right now it's affecting us right now it's killing people right now and on top of the recession that's going on and who knows if they're gonna include the war in the next season so it is it's a lot going on and it's very timely because we're all going through it right now but we see her shoulders got uh her shoulder got uh, some bandages on it i don't know if there's some special magic bandages that diamond got but they look a little special but she gets in contact with coach to set up that offer that he offered in the last season basically uh he was one of her regulars from season one and he basically offered mercedes like look you know, my wife even knows about it. It's cool with it. I can get you a condo and you can stay there and I pay you each week, basically. And times are getting tough. So she's taking him up on his offer and we will see how that goes uh, throughout uh, later on this episode. So in the next scene, Terica pulls up to Pastor Woodbine's the care package drive she's doing and she asks for two boxes and uh, to, I guess, one of her uh, parishioners, is that the word? One of her, one of her workers. And Woodbine shows up and she's like, what are you doing here? Why are you driving, et cetera, et cetera? Where's your mama that raised you? And according to Terrica, Shell is asleep. And Pastor Woodbine's like at 3 p.m. She's asleep. Something's going on. And uh, Terrica tries to kind of just like pretend everything's all right. And Pastor Woodbine can see right through her having raised a daughter and then having raised Mercedes. She even says, you know, you look just like Mercedes when you lie. So Pastor Woodbine probably has seen all the lies. I we have not seen flashbacks yet, but I wonder what their relationship was like explicitly like. Uh, when Mercedes was 15 or even younger and then with Woodbine as well like Woodbine seemed to be a completely different woman so I'm really interested in seeing so far we haven't had flashbacks we've just been getting stories and I kind of like it that way because I feel like a lot of shows rely on these flashbacks to move the story so I would I would like to see how they can show the relationship and show the history between everyone without using explicit flashbacks because in a way, I guess if you're a purist when it comes to stories, you can view that as kind of a cop out. Like, okay, you, all you do is a flashback and now people understand, but making it subtle or doing it through stories, pictures, other things, you know, that's harder and more difficult, but I feel like it kind of gives you, it gives more weight to than just sitting there watching a memory play out because in reality memories aren't you know some people have vivid memories but not all of our memories are vivid nowhere near vivid uh than how they portray on tv so and but then again that's like i guess they're special we get a special look into it i don't know i don't know we'll just see i just haven't seen many flashbacks or any flashbacks at all so i really want to know how mercedes what mercedes was like uh and how really how pastor woodbine was like back in the day but anyway mm, woodbine get, ends up getting her four boxes and terica i realized this is the first real interaction between terica and that we've seen between terica and pastor woodbine and we see i think mm, 
Terika definitely has a respect for Woodbine, obviously, and Woodbine definitely has a love for Terika and probably views her as a clean, kind of innocent slate. And she even has her call her grandma. So it's obvious that Woodbine claims her as her blood and claims her as the grand her granddaughter, but it's just how she was conceived and the background behind it that kind of, and you know, with the biblical deep South, like putting your family drama, your family secrets under the covers and not really being open with it. So it's like she has a love for her, but it's kind of a underground, like, we don't talk about it type of uh, thing. Like I'm not openly claiming you out of protection either for their reputation or just for everybody damn involved. Cause everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's secrets. Everybody knows everything, you know, and people run with rumors down South. So maybe, but I know one day the cat is going to get out the bag. So we'll see. So, Next, we have Lil Murder and his crew pull up to the gas station. And we see the white lady at the register is like profiling them. And she's literally about to call the police on them for doing nothing. I mean, from a white little girl's perspective, (laughs) I see, I mean, you're already inherently racist. So I see how she, you know, thought what, you know, they look suspect to her but they didn't do nothing so it's like as long as they're not doing nothing why are you calling the police but racist profiling but anyway they have a photo shoot in front of the gas stop to kind of cement that brand with a little murder and mississippi and cement that brand through you know their viewers and audience and fans or whatnot because that's what social media is about. The the images are everything. Pictures are everything. Brand is everything. And that's how you get people to feel like they know you and get a sense of you. But anyway, Lil Murder, we see he gets a postcard in the gas stop. And we'll discuss that later. But anyway, this scene was just to show that they're, you know, building their brand. They're building their internet influence and whatnot. Uncle Clifford is seen looking through Keyshawn's Instagram and you could tell she's salty about it, like salty that he's still parading around in this character, little murder character. And, you know, she wants, uh, what's his name? Mark, Mar, I don't want to say Marquavius, Mar, Marquis, it's Mar something, it's Mar something. But anyway, uh, you know, she wants to reel him. She wants to reel him. She don't want this character that he's doing. So it's just, and then the fact is with Keyshawn, it's just, it's just a lot of t- to take in for Uncle Clifford. But anyway, Autumn says that they need a headliner and her and Uncle Clifford get into it again about, you know, ownership and whose fault it was, blah, blah, blah. Until Uncle Clifford offers a deal upping her owner percentage of the pink uh, to where Autumn gets 69% and Uncle Clifford gets 31%. So now she's about she's a third owner. So um, they agree and they agree making Whisper and Roulette the headliner for the night. And as for the DJ, they hire Big Bone. Um, mainly, you know, it seems like she knows good songs from that TikTok song she was playing. So they make big bone the dj so she's all over the place bartender was a stripper then bartender now the dj or now the dj and bartender who knows but um 
I think Autumn in this scene knows now that Uncle Clifford is definitely worth more than 15%. And you need Uncle Clifford to keep this uh, business afloat. But knowing the business-minded person Autumn is, she's not giving up majority ownership of the paint. She's not. I feel like maybe by the end of this season, maybe they'll both be 50-50 maybe 60 40 i don't see autumn giving equal partnership but maybe uncle clifford will have some leverage on autumn or somebody will have some leverage but i want to see them do equal partnership somewhere along the way and then ultimately i want to see uncle clifford just own the whole shit again but next we're taking this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole episode uh we're actually woodbine scenes throughout this whole episode were my favorite scenes but we're taking to the Delta Valley Association of Black Pastors chicken dinner. And Woodbine interrupts Kyle, and she's just speaking that real. She's telling all these other black pastors, like, y'all trust these white people too much. You think they're going to come in, make the casino, and give us jobs? No. They're going to come in, build a casino, and get money off of it based off of your uh support and help and not think twice about even reaching back out to you after you know you uh they get elected and that's true so she's like we need to be you know funneling money into schools and you know into us and if you think one minute that they're going to help us you're sadly mistaken so she takes a stand against the mayor and his goals and makes it known that her church her establishment herself will not be you know, endorsing uh, interim mayor Kyle. The way everybody says that is really funny. But I also like this scene because the visual, it was very, like we saw how sexist that that church community is, especially with that pastor not letting Woodbine up into the pulpit, even though she's given so much money for that church and stole it from her daughter pretty much. And she actually is a, a good singer and a good, like a, she gets the people going um, with being a pastor, but they just don't want a woman on the pulpit simply because they are probably insecure. They want the power. It's so many reasons with niggas. But the visual of seeing all these women serve the men and like happy to do it and the men just sitting there and their laurels and stuff like that, like that is pretty much the church culture. And at least in the deep South, I mean, at least in what we're seeing in the community in Chuckalisa. And we see all the pastors are men except for Pastor Woodbine. And we see she's even wearing uh, like just pink and white. And I feel like that really contrasts with the pastors in every single way. She sticks out in her womanhood. And I feel like that's correlated to her being liberated now. From the clutches of these men, from the the sexism of the uh the church and the community, and she's reclaiming her womanhood and her independence from that, and being a leader on her own two feet now, and she's just speaking her mind. She don't give a fuck anymore. She's speaking her mind, smoking her vape now. She don't give one fuck anymore. She is trailblazing right now. And, uh, yeah, she got her voice now in this male-dominated world. At this point, she got to be harder. She got to go harder. She got to be harder. And, you know, to maintain her space in uh, Chuckalisa and especially 
with this white mayor trying to change up so many things. Next, we move on to one of uh, Little Murder shows in New Orleans. First of all, they had the iconic Big Frida. Like that was a very, very, very welcome surprise. And I feel like it was inevitable. You can't have a show about strip culture where music is so heavy in the deep South. And then you got non-binary characters like Uncle Clifford and just you you can't you you can't you, it was it's too many reasons for you to um that you where you need big frida somewhere incorporated into this show's uh dna so because i feel like at least for me big frida is definitely one of the first like definitely older to um non-binary she doesn't go she doesn't I think from an article that I read like a year or so ago, she doesn't identify as trans. I mean, for most part, I think she just identifies as herself, but she does go by she and um, she pronouns. So it's very similar, essentially the same with uh, Uncle Clifford to to have that real life person, you know, and not just a character on there and say, show that a lot of non-binary queer people, like we exist and we're real, we're not characters. So I think it was very necessary for Big Frida to be in this show. And I hope, I, I wish it was a bigger role or something, but I, I feel like it was still fitting and I'm really glad they had her on there. Now, uh, Keyshawn is on her live in Rome from Blue, uh, Blue Guap, whatever, is taking pics of her and her little lifestyle, you know, of course, for the brand and the gram and the clout. And he ends up posting a pic of her and Lil Murder. And she's she kind of is a little hesitant. At, but after seeing all them likes, she gives in and says, okay, post them. So she's becoming a slave to all the attention. And it probably makes her feel good from being, you know, a prisoner in her own household, a prisoner in Derek's household. And then we're taking on a montage of their tour. Lil Murder got a new song called Champagne Campaign, and they're both rocking the crowd. They're, this seems like a very, very successful tour, and, I mean, they're rocking it. And I really, really like the visuals. They're definitely, like, intense and definitely, like, I would say three-dimensional in a lot of different ways. So I really – and these are visuals that we haven't really seen – the show go like use or like even visually I feel like we haven't seen the show move differently from just I guess the regular camera angles they be on or the, the slanted camera angles when it's like a moment of suspense but these visuals it was I really loved it it was given um so now we see Mercedes pull up to coach's spot and it's this luxurious condo and she gets a call from Terica, and we see in the background where Terica's at at Shell's house, Shell is laid out on the couch drunk. So we already know there's some alcoholism going on, and Shell is going downhill, and we already know some shit is about to hit the fan very soon. So now uh, Mercedes is checking out the place and meets Coach's wife, Farah, who's obviously not happy with this arrangement. She's aware, but obviously what wife would be, you know, happy with their husband bringing home another woman, signing agreements so you can, you know, he can go and, you know, fuck 
her each weekend. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, obviously, she's not happy with it. And we see she got to sign paperwork, Mercedes does, and NDAs and all that shit. So it's a legally binding contract. Like, this is pretty much a more or less a, a job. So she has to do all of that. In this scene, when Mercedes had to get COVID tested, the close-up of her of her nostrils and just the close-up of her face in general getting swabbed, I feel like was perfect. It really, to me, showed kind of the uncomfortability and the pain and just the nuisance of it all. I feel like it was just perfect. Also, I feel that Mercedes and Coach have a real connection, like not just like a you my hoe and I'm your trick. Like I think they actually have a connection because we see Mercedes reactions to a lot of like his career updates and she's honest with him and actually engaged with him actually cares about what's going on with him. I feel like he's just not any old trick Mercedes and him actually have a connection. So now uh, we're back after the, one of the shows, they're all at the spot drinking and vibing by then I'm talking about big Teak and um, Wody and Rome. And as they're drinking, Big Teat spots a nigga named Pico that apparently was affiliated with Her Valley, but now is in a different gang where they rock blue and gold. Big Teat is really not having it and ends up walking away. And uh, then Pico and Rome meet each other. And Rome, you know, he's like, oh, you managing a little murder? And Rome, you know, tells him, nah, I'm managing, you know, Mississippi, but I'm representing the reason why he popping right now and blah, blah, blah. And then a conversation comes up about like little murders music and, you know, how he's with Keyshawn. But then Pico makes a reference, like a, 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 a little diss to little murder sexuality saying that like oh his next record is going to be called trade tales you're going to owe me some money after this one so we see this nigga pico knows some shit about little murder and knows knows they got history they got some history for him to kind of really be confident in that and comes out the cut with that they got some history and now we're back at coach's condo and we see coach Farah, and mercedes they're all sitting awkwardly and mercedes comments on a picture that uh is behind coach and analyzes the picture's tone and angles and she it turns out Farah was the one that took that picture and she gives props to her talent coach uh leaves and Farah mercedes ends up having an honest talk Definitely stemming from uh, Fair realizing Mercedes might actually have some taste after all. So uh, they have an honest talk and about like why, why, why did you need me here? Like Fair saying that, and you know Mercedes is telling her like I had to have some type of integrity and I just want to be transparent and just be upfront with things. And I feel like Fair definitely respects that. And uh, Coach comes back, and as Fair is about to leave, Coach wants her to, wants her to see the Mercedes experience. And Fair is a little stiff, but she loosens up. And this scene was definitely magical. Like this was like a beautiful, beautiful scene. I think it really shows why Mercedes is like the boss bitch. And because she just that, I mean, that's the Mercedes experience. And 
she's just absolutely enthralled by Mercedes and she I think from seeing her dance she gets it now she gets why coach is like just amazed by her she gets to see her personality too even before the dancing like she gets it and I feel like from this she's transported to a new way of thinking and a new way of feeling I would say too and then after the dance Mercedes tries to go up to coach and gets cozy with them and Farrah then shrimp, strip shrimps, strips and wants in. And they're both looking like, uh, 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 this was uh, unexpected. Um, and so also with this scene, we see Mercedes is now working through the pain. And she's, she, I think she's on her way to being back to top form because she winced a little bit in pain, but she still worked through it and was still good. So I think she's getting back to where she was. Also with the gummy bear ringtone for Terica, um, I feel like it shows the soft. Mercedes has a, a huge soft side to her. And I feel like it only comes out with her daughter and with Uncle Clifford. But um, the little gummy bear ringtone, that was just a little note. I feel like it was really cute. So now they just need to <laughs> get a divorce. But Andre is on the phone with Brittany. And he still, play I think Brittany tried to, I feel like as a way to get him back to Atlanta, I think try to offer him a position litigating for her father for something, but he still plans on staying Chickalisa. And at this point, she already knows the speech he'd be giving her. He needs more time. And Brittany's just more than disappointed. Like she's beyond stress and I'm sure she needs some type of support. And I'm not going to lie, like, Andre, I know you love Chuck Elise and stuff, but it's either you, like, be real with Brittany. Like, I think he's relying on the fact that she's just going to sit and wait for him, even though she's going through a whole war, like, I, I'm going to call it that, a whole war, dealing with all these dead bodies, the viruses, and being on her feet, being on her feet working for, you know, most likely 20 to 24 hours at a time probably more than that and I, I just feel like he's being an ass to her and it's like like he's giving her no type of support I think he's just assuming that she can handle all of this but you could she's break like she's you could tell she's breaking a little bit she's overwhelmed she's overwhelmed so honestly if Brittany leaves his ass or if Brittany I don't know breaks I hope that doesn't happen but it's looking like it might. I mean, she's a human. So I, I just feel like Andre isn't being considerate or, you know, it's one thing to, okay, okay, you don't, you're not ready to go back to Atlanta, but please be honest with her and be there for her too if she's your wife. If not, then y'all don't need to be in a relationship. Like y'all need to just divorce, like, you know? So he still plans on staying in Chuckalisa. So we see things are still getting, you know, on the healthcare side of things, things are still like going on. Things are still popping off COVID wise, but yet the clubs and stuff are still open. And that's literally what happened and what is happening. So let me stop because I'd be going to right now, but I didn't go during 2020. I didn't go during 2021 like that. I think the first time I stepped out, stepped out or like went into a, club when the pandemic was going was 
right before the pandemic, I think it was like February 2020. And then, of course, it really hit during March. And I didn't go back into a club. And first of all, it was one in in Raleigh. So it wasn't even like a major city one. But it was still, it was it was weird. But it was like, what, May 2021. That was the, yeah, so I waited over a year to go back. But that was even weird. Like, that was even scary for me. So uh, now I'm more used to it, obviously. I still don't be going out like that. But that was it, was, it was scary. I'm not gonna lie. It was like, it was a very, very, very weird feeling. So anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> so that was that. Andre, I noticed just a little note, uh, his dress is changing a bit. I feel like he's not as preppy, preppy right now. And his hair is starting, like, he's starting to get a little more, you know, a little Afrocentric, no pun intended. That If it was, that would have been corny. But I feel like he's really embracing his Chuckalisa roots and embracing his blackness and kind of shifting away from being, slowly but surely shifting away from being kind of like this developer and this preppy lawyer nigga to someone that he's coming, like, I guess back to his, the self that he was, especially as a child where he felt like he could do anything until he got conformed into all these little conformed. So I feel like he's now finally refinding himself again. And I feel like that funeral ignited a lot. And I feel like it also speaks to COVID. Like, I feel like we have not been the same. We will never be the same. There's at this point, you can, if your name is Sally, there was pre COVID Sally. And then there's, I guess we're still in the co- we're still in COVID, but there's going to be post COVID Sally, you know. So it, it's there's pre COVID Brandon, and now there's you know COVID Brandon. Like we are, it's a reality changing. <coughs> <coughs> Damn y'all, I'm sorry, but it's a reality changing event, and we will never be the same, but I feel like in that we found ourselves. Like I, I feel like I would have still been going through a rut of life if the if I don't know, I can't truly say for sure, but I I say I was on the path to just going through a rut, like just doing what I felt like I needed to do and especially what was expected of me and just going through that. So I feel like Andre has kind of broken out of that and and I feel like during that period, it's not talked about a lot, but I feel like the transition into knowing yourself and really knowing tapped into your energy and your power and who you are, I feel like there's a depression that comes first. I don't feel like it's a, a sudden enlightenment and you're just good. Like you're like, okay, this is what I need to do. Like I went through a depression, a depression that wasn't a month, that wasn't two months, that wasn't three months, that wasn't four months, more, (laughs) more, 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 more. I feel like I've been more myself since I was like 12, 13, to be honest. I feel like during that time, during 13 to 14 till like 24, it was just, it was a haze. It was a haze. And I feel like I wasn't my full self. I feel like it was another version or another conscious kind of taking over and, you know, it was just in the shell of me. So I, I feel like Andre is kind of going through those same motions, to be honest. Now we're back into coaches, uh, coaches condo and 
they're in a deep ass black ass chocolate ass threesome and it's kind of hot it's kind of i'm not gonna lie i kind of rewound it a little couple times but uh mercedes gets another call and it's the gummy bear ringtone so we know it's terica and this time it's from that punk ass officer jesse terica apparently got caught driving with shell drunk in the seat so now shit has hit the fan as i said before uh so and of course mercedes rushes over to see what's going on i wonder if coach is still going to go through with the deal since it seems like there's a new spark in his marriage now you know like i feel like farah her eyes are open and she's liberated now and you know i feel like is that gonna like i I feel like she's reconnected with coach and coach is probably reconnected with his wife so are they still gonna go through the deal mercedes i hope you sign them damn papers Ten thousand, what was it? Ten thousand each week or ten thousand each month? Regardless, I take both shit. But I wonder what's gonna happen, or what if Farah maybe wants Mercedes now? Like you know, so I'm really looking forward to see what the outcome of that is uh, in the next episode. So now we, I really love this show. <laughs> I really love this show a lot. So now we're on to the next uh, scene and Lil Murder and Keyshawn, they're enjoying their fans. And one of the fans gets a little too thirsty. I thought at first she knew Lil Murder, but I had to rewind it. I'm like, this was just a very like thirsty fan trying to see him. Pico somehow gets involved and he gets like, act, gets to acting rude with her and, Big Teak checks him, and she says, thank you, nigga feminist. That was funny. And then uh, they exchange some words, and they end up fighting right after Pico kind of makes a gay insinuation like, bitch, I don't think he's your type or, you know, or uh, you're his type. And it was getting giving catty. I'm like, Pico, are you gay yourself? Like, why are you you this upset? If anything, I feel like you should be upset with uh, Teak because... You haven't even seen Little Murder yet, and Little Murder hasn't really showed you any like shade or anything like that. So I'm like, why? Are, why are you in your feelings? So I definitely feel like him and Little Murder have history that we don't know yet, and I feel like it's not just gang involved. It's I think they had a little lover relationship, and Little Murder probably turned him down, and I, I feel like something like that is going on. That's my little thoughts um so now we i mean from that oh and a whole shooting happens like a shooting a shooting happens and they drive off i can't believe i missed that but now the girls at the pink they watching uh Keyshawn's live and we see now Nineveh is i think is on makeup hair and makeup now and probably the fashions as well so i'm assuming she replaced monte who was the latin lady who was in charge of like the the fashions and stuff like that and the fits and the costumes so i guess Nineveh's on the job and i like Nineveh. i like her when she said uh when they brought the instagram up to her and she said her lash is live though <laughs> that that was really funny i i just like her and i liked her in the last episode so it has me thinking did uncle clifford have a change of heart from what Nineveh said and um because i feel like what Nineveh said was true like are you gonna give me a job if you're gonna like shame me and like kind of judge me are you gonna give me a job you know if it if it's affecting you so much that you're attacking me so what are you gonna do about it you know 
So I guess she did have a change of heart and gave Nineveh a job. And I, I'm looking forward to see more Nineveh. So now Roulette and Whisper, this was weird. They It seemed like they were having a real conversation for the very first time. So like Whisper asked like, so where are you from and stuff like that? And that's surprising because given their like dynamic already, even from the second episode, it seems like they already knew each other. But I don't know. So that threw me off. But Whisper, Roulette gives kind of a vague answer. She says she from hell. Whisper says uh, she ended up at the paint just following the wind and blah, blah, blah. And offers Roulette a bump of coke. And we see there are some there's some strong ass rule breakers. So they are here to cause a commotion internally at the pank. So now we see Duffy shows up, meets up with Big L for another shipment. He ends up hugging up all on Big L. He's still sad that him and Gidget aren't together anymore. And Whisper and Roulette come out from their set and they killed, they killed it. And, uh, as uh, they, oh, well, my bad, Whisper and Roulette come out onto their set, not after their set. And like I said, they're killing it. And Roulette ends up getting carried away, probably with the coke and all of that, and ends up showing her titties in front of everyone. And Uncle Clifford is upset. Like, now they're just blatantly uh, fucking up the rules, and we're going to see how far this goes. So we get back to Duffy and Big L and he's talking about how Gidget is still upset with him. And of course you gave her mom COVID and her mom died. Like uh, there's no coming back from that. He says he wants to quit being a plug and wants to marry Gidget and Gidget not gonna have that. Whisper and Roulette come back with their money bags and they both meet Duffy for the first time. And we always, we see there's an obvious kind of connection between roulette and duffy so we're going to see where that leads to to me i'm just thinking lord not another white black relationship shit but it, it, <laughs> but anyway we see uh the next scene shell is laid out drunk in the tub while mercedes is just spraying her in the face and they get into it about uh mercedes past about how Mercedes lied about being 18 when she was actually 15. And once she had a baby, Mercedes' mom told Cortez, who was Shell's, um, I guess, Shell's husband, that um, Cortez had no choice but to watch the baby. And uh, also, according to Katori Hall, I believe Cortez was 19 at the time. So, yeah. So from this conversation, we see there is a plot twist. Cortez told Shell to look after Terica. So this whole time, Mercedes thinking Shell had the power to just release Terica. Shell apparently was just sticking, holding fast onto Cortez's wishes. And she wanted Terica to be with Mercedes because she didn't want to look at what she calls a mistake every single day, which was that was. And Terica is in the back and hears everything. That's that would fuck up a child's mind. So now we're back at the pank and one of the customers we see now, they already heard word that one of their dancers be given head and wants this other dancer to give him head. So now we see word is getting out about roulette and her head. Uh, of course, no one knows who does it yet, but I feel like the rumors are just going to amplify over time. 
And we see Andre text Autumn about the deal, whether she's going to take it or not. And Autumn is still declining until she gets that 10 mil. Uncle Clifford is concerned about his girls and makes it known that he, you know, he's concerned about selling it and concerned about what will happen to her girls. Sorry. And, um, but also makes it known that she's getting 3.1 million. So I feel like Uncle Clifford is going to play up this, like, because Autumn was like, the girls are none of your concern. I feel like Uncle Clifford is going to play up this, like, business tycoon type of spirit. But I think at the end, if they do sell, she's probably going to set up a whole new pank and take care of her girls. Uncle Clifford is not going to ban her girls. Come on. Um, also, this is just a note. The last text that Autumn we see on her phone that was sent to uh that was sent to Andre was her giving her condolences uh about uh Mayor Ruffin, Andre's godfather. And we see the date on that was May 2020. So those water bill payment dates that was like July 2021, that had to just be an error. And I feel like they just didn't expect weirdos like me to zoom in and <laughs> look at the dates. But shoot, I actually might ask. I might ask Katori Hall what date, what timeline are we in? But moving forward, Andre, we see Andre is with Corbin and Corbin is still pressing Andre to sell. Andre thinks that Autumn is, you know, just waiting out to see the casino outcome, which is smart because it could go either way. And what Andre said, you know, depending on how things go, Autumn can potentially be the most powerful person in Chakalisa at the moment uh, with that prime property up for sale and next to the Delta and all of that. So now they then get to talking about the mayoral race and Andre makes it known that he is from Chakalisa and is a registered voter after Corbin says like, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't win, you know, after saying like, who would go against my brother? And Andre says him, but you know, after Corbin says you wouldn't win, Andre makes it known. Like I said, he is from Chuckalisa. I am from Chuckalisa. Like his root, he's starting to really get proud of where he's from and proud of his roots. So I think uh, we saw this coming. I told y'all in the last episode, we saw this coming. He's going to run. But, and he's a registered voter. He's going to run. Corbin, his little slick self, is low key baiting Andre to run now. Because now he sees, okay, we can kind of craft this kind of narrative of, you know, the godson of Mayor Ruffin, the first black mayor, Chuck Elisa, takes the baton, Andre's younger, people know him, and he's a registered voter, and he has, like, kind of that community recognition, like I said, Corbin already did the calculation in his mind, and he's baiting him, in my opinion and offers to sponsor him i think corbin just wants to have andre by the balls because he sees it's potentially andre could win and um you know having a mayor in your pocket is you know an excellent thing to have especially for a slick person like corbin so it's getting juicier the plot is getting thicker so now uh, Murder's fans, we see like he is starting to really get some uh groupies now and they're chasing him to his motel room. 
He ends up at Keyshawn's door. Keyshawn grabs him and pretends, you know, she just give him this sloppy make out. At the side, we see Rome is on the prowl. Like, now I think he's on an investigation to figure out what's going on with Lil Murder, what's his actual sexuality. Um, he's still confused right now because he's still like, hmm. But we see he's on notice. He's going to be kind of being having Lil Murder in his sights now in a different way. So, and I feel like Big Teak, we'll talk about that later, but um, as Keyshawn is oiling up Murder's scalp, we see him writing a postcard to Uncle Clifford, and Keyshawn gives Lil Murder advice, like, telling him to be direct with Uncle Clifford, because there's not a lot of Uncle Cliffords that come in this lifetime, and she's right about that, and he says that he loves her, he loves Uncle Clifford, and then he goes on to ask, like, how she got kicked out the pink, and she says she couldn't believe in fairy tales. At this point, I feel like from this scene, Lil Murder's love for Uncle Clifford is actually real and actually strong, and I'm, I am looking forward to see what action he takes after the Dirty Dozen tour is all, you know, over, and I just feel like all the balls are in his court right now, and I feel like he needs to take lead and figure out what the next steps in the relationship with Uncle Clifford. You know, he can't be just sending letters and being under the covers, you know, for too long, I feel like, especially with Rome now on putting him on notice and Pico, I think it's probably going to come out and try to, you know, tear his character down or whatever. So something's going to have to happen. He's going to have to reclaim his own self, his own identity, his own story. Also with Keyshawn, I felt like it was ironic. She said she couldn't believe in fairy tales when uh, with that Rapunzel reference she made in the last episode uh, that she used to lure her child to sleep about, you know, her bundles helped her escape. So it's very ironic because I feel like little does she know she's in her own fairy tale of sorts. You can you can argue that I feel like. So now we're at Shell's house and Terika asked Mercedes about the situation because, of course, she heard everything. And Mercedes admits the truth. Like, I did have you at 15. It was with Cortez, et cetera, et cetera. But Terika is heartbroken that Mercedes did not fight for her because obviously Terika wants to be with her real mom. And Mercedes has all the love in the world for Terika. And Shell, she's just in charge of Terika out of duty not out of love and children can feel that i i feel like terica i feel like she's going to join up with her grandma at some point i feel like she's not going to trust mercedes in the moment right now and uh somehow she's going to end up with her grandma i don't know what the connection will be for that but i think she is she's going to run away from shell she don't want to deal with mercedes i think she's going to go with the grandma at some point so now uh big t calls up on a little murder from uh the room and he ends up having a heart to heart out on the steps especially after that huge scuffle i'm sure that kind of triggered him and brought back a lot of their old times and history and they get into a story about how both of them was in prison and apparently little murder got shanked by this guy named boozy and teak saved him and that got him in solitary i think he bashed him pretty much and killed him and that put him in solitary 
And Lil Murder, while Teak was in solitary, got the CO the uh to send Teak his rhymes, which saved him, according to Teak. Uh having those rhymes and having that stimulation and just having that connection to the outside when you're in alone and solitary, giving nothing but shit food and in the darkness, like that humans aren't made to be in those type of conditions that will break a human. So those rhymes probably helped him realize like there's other people outside, you know, kind of held his mind down. So we see they have a very poetic brotherhood together and they're both good for each other in their friendship and make each other stronger in different ways. So that was really poetic. Next, now during one of uh, Pastor Woodbine's services, Interim Mayor Kyle comes in with Officer Jesse to suspend her services um, due to some bullshit COVID rules and wants her to kind of minimize the congregation to 50% capacity or only two to three people six feet apart. So he basically doing all that because he she he views her as a threat to his campaign and his motives. So he does some underhanded shit. But from what Woodbine says, you done fucked with the wrong bitch and i'm looking forward to seeing what pastor woodbine has in store for interim mayor kyle's ass so now uh we see uncle clifford looking through one of the postcards he got from little murder and we see she got one from each of the cities that he's toured in and i was like oh that was really cute. That's like, that's cute. That's cute. He's not just sitting in one postcard. He's sending a postcard to each and every city because he's thinking of Uncle Clifford and thinks how much he loves her. And he's trying to get her back and he's doing it piece by piece, city by city, all throughout the dirty dozen doors. It was just, I, I really like it. I really love it. I like that. I like it. And we see Uncle Clifford is gleaming and just like happy and bubbly and in love again. But this time it's like, don't fuck it up. Lil Murder's really making it right with her, and I, I really love to see that. And now in the final scene, we see Roulette. Uh, she came out of a car, uh, presumably from her latest trick. Now it seems like she's full on having sex with people now for money. And um, as she's dropped off, she sees Duffy and Big L transporting Oxy. And she just gives him a slight wink, but now she has a leg up and... For sure, I feel like Roulette will be using that to her advantage. So that was uh, P-Valley Season 2, Episode 3. We're going to get into It's Giving and kind of go down, uh, break down some of the shit I've noticed um, that are continuing and themes and whatnot. And I'll let y'all know what this episode is giving. So now on to the final part of the episode. It's giving. I mean, this, I feel like each episode, each of my episodes only have like two segments. So this is the second and final segment. It's giving. Basically, I get to let you know what the episode is giving. And then at the end, I give you like a score, some type of assessment or some type of measurement or some type of standard or some, something, something that an enumerate. I'm just making shit up now. I give you a value that is proportionate to the the quality of the episode. 
um i'll be saying i'll be defining what the segment is in like different ways i feel like each and every episode but yes yeah i feel like y'all can understand what i am saying so let us get into it so i would say (coughs) again are you serious (coughs) the air is dry i'm not sick so the i would say the first (laughs) i would say let's start off with the music i feel like music in p valley is now playing a bigger role than ever before we already kind of saw the stance of music i feel like through mercedes in season one when you know she said you know a bitch gotta have some artistic integrity so i feel like that's how the creative team and that's how p valley views music music goes hand in hand with pretty much everything in uh the south um, especially when it comes to dancing at the pink or just fashion and culture. And like, I feel like music is the essence and soul of the South. So, uh, we're seeing that play a bigger role with now, um, they're getting, they're starting to get their own soundtrack. Uh, I mean, they did in season one, but this is like little murder got, he has more songs now. Um, we see real life artists are now including P-Valley characters into at least the remixes of their songs. So music is definitely becoming a uh, more of a focal point, I feel. And obviously now a, uh, 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 a momentous force, I feel like, in terms of uh, pushing the plot along and things of that nature. So I definitely have been noticing that. Also, I've been seeing more aspects of Southern culture culture getting amplified in p valley um i already talked about the music we see hoodoo in episode two uh, of course the stripping the strip club strip club uh culture the language the vernacular the fashion we see the influences we see the southern wit we see religion um we see politics we see uh the southern economy we see gay shit we see queer shit we see all we see it all all of that everything that i just named has is the dna of the south i feel like has everything to do with the south you can argue that yes it you know it might be prevalent in some areas of the country but no the the south i feel like has a hold and has its own brand when it comes to um religion the bible belt strip culture strip cult like strip clubs aren't necessarily just for stripping like I believe what Katori Hall was like, people will have meetings in there. Like it's a normal, it's a normal part of everyday Southern life. Uh, we see the fashion most notably kind of conveyed through Uncle Clifford and her uh, choice of where uh, we see hoodoo where roots are in Southern culture and Caribbean culture. Um, and of course the, the music by the Southern artists that we see, of course the vernacular, all of that is inherently Southern and most most definitely a part of like i said the foundation and just the fabric of uh southern culture and that's best conveyed in the microcosm that is chakalisa that includes all of these it's used as i guess a i don't want to say model maybe like a proxy but basically a stand-in for all things south all things deep south i feel like so um yeah i've been noticing that i've been more noticing more of an incorporation of that 
and uh i just feel like in general p valley really does a great job of painting a picture of black southern life through all of its perspectives straight gay femme mass non-binary trans preacher stripper rapper you know like I, all the perspectives and all the tones and i feel like that's what makes you want to see more because of that it's not just one they could have easily done an orange and new black and had it through autumn night's perspective the whole entire time and i feel like it was kind of like orange and new black in a way where we started off with autumn and then then we started kind of bleeding into everybody else's lives and uh perspectives similar to how we saw piper you know uh this white woman enter a minimum security uh prison and most of the first season was through her eyes and then we went around through everybody else's eyes so I do feel like it's kind of like that in a way so that's just something very important to know I feel like and something to keep in mind moving forward when you're watching this uh, uh future episodes past episodes current episodes so I think it helps you appreciate the flavor of P-Valley and I think that's why I was talking about how it was so important that uh Big Frida was uh was on here because she represents all those things that i mentioned or at least most of those things that i mentioned she is fashion she is southern fashion she is southern vernacular she is southern culture she is southern music you know so i mean it, it speaks uh, for itself so yes that is what i have to say about that now on to the gang shit obviously i'm not into no gang shit i don't know too much about gang shit but i feel like it's going to lead to a lot of popping off and a lot of revelations of past histories and putting that in contrast with where these men are today most uh notably big teak and little murder i feel like in this episode big teak cemented himself as i don't think he was going to be like a one-dimensional character but i feel like we got to know him very well pretty early and we got to kind of see his soul almost he's and this is kind of what i was saying with some of the men in p valley like with diamond and big l and now big teak like these are very masculine men but have a gentle side and I feel like Big Teak, once they inevitably find out Lil Murder is, you know, you know, queer, gay, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think Big Teak is going to have a way about it. I, that's his brother at the end of the day. So I do feel like I'm confident Big Teak won't feel too much about it, um, like in an ignorant way. So I do feel like a lot of... Um, Thing, I guess I'm veering off but I, I I'm just thinking about how there's a lot of different perspectives of men in this now that I'm thinking about it men from prison men from gangs men in politics men as lawyers men as college gra you know what I mean a lot of southern men in these different avenues of life um I don't I don't want to keep talking because I don't know where I'm going with this but I, it was just something I'm just leading with but in terms of the gang stuff, I feel like we're going to see uh, a lot of juxtapositions, juxtaposing of pre, pre, where we, where we see them now versus where they used to be, basically, and how they've changed. And I think those changes 
will be indicative of who they are as people little murder is a poet he was doing it even in prison i don't think him being a rapper is fake i think him being uh you know a stereotypical you know fuck money i mean fuck bitches get money i don't think that's truly him i think he's going to elevate and actually talk about the stuff he wants to because he really does seem like an emotional caring poet type big teak has a gentle spirit about him i think this you know the 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 anger that he has with the gang shit i don't truly think that is truly him i think that's just a way of life that he's been in and it's hard to kind of separate yourself from that but i think big t got some other i think he got some other talents i i truly do i'm I, I'm looking forward to see where he goes in his development. But okay, enough about that. I feel like I already gave too much time. But one of the biggest things I wanted to note is um, kind of, and I call it black feminism, not just because I'm all, I'm talking about black women, but feminism, I feel like feminism of how it's been portrayed in the media and in history has always been centered on white women and white women's rights um, and never kind of considered indigenous woman black woman poor woman you know it, i think it's always been centered on the women of wealthy white husbands to be quite honest so i'm going to call this black feminism in every way shape and form and what i notice is prevalent with black feminism in p valley is a constant theme that i've seen is uh men preventing women from being united because there's always been a man in between or a man influencing the woman involved. We have Farah and Mercedes between coach. After Farah and Mercedes got to know each other, now they end up having threesomes. You know, Farah seems to have some type of liberated spirit in her now and was in awe and amazement of the power that Mercedes has, but initially wasn't feeling her. I mean, I mean, that's understandable because it's your husband and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's the husband that coordinated all of this mercedes didn't go up to coach and say hey you know can i be in your condo coach went up to her and coach told the wife to so it's like the man is coordinating all of this and with what mercedes said about both of them being hoes but you know pretty much in different ways like they're in the same boat whether they realize it or not and mercedes realizes it that's why she's just you know she's herself but um, I feel like women like Farah, like the wives of husbands that want their husbands to be a certain way or will take things out on the side woman, you know, even though it's because they're a husband, but then at the same time, they're not liberating themselves. So they conform to fit the husband and they're not like, it's just a constant cycle. I've noticed Mercedes and Woodbine, we see, um, Mercedes and Woodbine and then Mercedes and Shell. Well, Mercedes and Woodbine. I feel like when it comes to them, it's more so men of society. I don't know about now because Woodbine is changing, but I think it's men of society, men of society labeling women like Mercedes as like harlots or, you know, hoes or, you know, so in, in Woodbine making Mercedes feel less than and less valid, kind of doing the work of the men for them. So I feel like with them, that's always been their block. And Mercedes feeling bad and viewing herself as less than and giving money to uh, her mom 
as a way to atone for herself but it's really your you know you said it right before mercedes you transport niggas you transport people there's nothing wrong with that get your money get your power you know mercedes and shell cortez cortez was the one you know fucking around outside the marriage but shell is going to blame mercedes for lying for one mercedes was only 15 she was a child she don't know what she's doing i believe every child is innocent so it's like you put all that blame on mercedes when really that uh cortez should have been really checking up and maybe not cheating on his wife you know so and it takes two to have a baby so why isn't the blame put on cortez and why are you unhappy with your life still trying to satisfy a dead man as what she says like she what she's been loyal to a dead man who wouldn't even be loyal to her when she when he was walking on this earth like you know um terica and mercedes we see cortez is in between them and also kind of that dynamic that mercedes has with terica and the girls her dancing troupe um not you know being too sexual or not being too um you know revealing because it's like oh you you gonna be labeled as a slut you gonna be a hoe what you want to be a hoe you know what i mean so mercedes kind of has that internalized uh uh sexism or whatever you want to call it within her um based in men and their influence so i feel like all of these women and girls have uh their issues at least when it becomes like an intra woman type of thing because of men and i feel like we see a spectrum of them being liberated or either being under men or submitting to men at the detriment of other women and their own identity and their own soul or a mix of both but i would say the most important thing is knowing that at the end of the day even though these women are flawed they're flawed because they're human so i was typing up before like as writing the episode i was like you can find fault in what these women do but you cannot fault them for some of the things they did when you have to it's an eat or be eaten type of world and you have to get it how you can get it when the keys of power are with men and they don't give it up unless you give something up and you know what i mean so it's it's a that i feel like at the core i think that's the core of p valley because we see the pink is at kind of the intersection of all this men at at simple straight up terms men are flaunting their power to get what women have and that's their sexuality a power that they can use to get niggas to share that wealth even though these niggas think they're in control they have all the power they're giving it up easily without them even knowing it and then at the same time we see the other group the women outside the club usually take it out on the woman dancing in the club because the attention is on their husbands um i mean the attention their husbands are getting attention from another woman but at the end of the day the attention should be on their husbands not on these women who are just trying to make their money you know so that's definitely a uh i feel like is the those dynamics that i mentioned um i feel like that's the core and the story that one of the main stories that p valley is truly trying to tell even while uncle clifford we see how you know you know being um queer myself it's like i call myself gay by 
I, I, I hate queer. I'm gonna just, I, I hate the word queer. I'm not gonna lie. But being a non-straight nigga myself, I, and as a man, I feel like men have had a comp, like I've had a complicated relationship with men because of how I view myself. And I think I talked about in the last episode, kind of how I invalidate myself because I like men, you know? So I, sometimes I feel like I'm less than, but that's just a heteronormative culture, boo, you know? So it, it, it it's, it's a lot of parallels to what people, you know, that aren't cis straight niggas go through. It's a lot. And then when you include race and then when you pour, when you include all those things in there, it just creates a, a spirit and a, a spirit where you got to do what you got to do to survive and you got to fight even harder to kind of maintain whatever you have uh, for these, the reasons that I've mentioned. So damn, that was a long one, but I, w- I feel like I was, I was onto something, but I would say just cause for time's sake, cause I've been at this point, I think these episodes are probably going to be over an hour cause it's just a lot to talk about. But I would say I would give this episode like an A minus. I think it was a, a it was a nice episode. I feel like they didn't jam pack too much like they did in the first and second episode, more so the second episode. So I would give this a nice little Q little A minus. And that's what it's given. So that is all I have for y'all. This, I feel like with Woodbine's parts and I really enjoy that scene where Mercedes danced for uh, Farah and Coach. And I'm interested in seeing Shell and what's going to happen with Terika. I feel like Terika is going to definitely have a bigger role. This is the most I've even seen Terika talk. So... I feel like Terika is going to run off to grandma and I feel like Woodbine is really about to, I don't know, lay some type of ass whooping on interim Mary Kyle because now he's doing like little bitch ways and, ooh, excuse me, little, just little shit, like little underhanded shit. Like you're going to bring in the cops because her congregation isn't, you know, COVID friendly Bye. like, you don't truly care about that. It's obvious. You're just scared of her that she's a threat. And that's what these white people do. Whenever you're a threat, they'll take you down. If you're not, they'll be the nicest to you because you're not a threat. You're not a threat to their power. So when you are, they're going to do the most underhanded, slick shit you can possibly think of. So, and like what she said, don't trust these white folk. <laughs> Y'all trust these white folk too much. And that is definitely true. So I'm really interested in seeing what would, but I'm, I think now that I'm mentioning it, I feel like now I'm thinking about it, I'm very, inter- they got me interested in Woodbine, Mercedes, and Terrica's kind of like plot lines. And Uncle Cliff and Little Murder, I'll see what that's going. But right now I'm not as interested as I was in the last season. Not too interested in... I'm just not interested in Lil Murder's group right now. I'm just not. Um, I'm interested in Whisper and Roulette. Now, they're interesting. More so Roulette. I'm interested in them. And I want to see what's going to happen with uh, 
what's his Marquavius's Marquavius's uh ghost because uh, that spirit is definitely out there somewhere so I uh we'll see I feel like we're it's a lot of it's just a lot of exciting shit going on so I'm really as always as I always say I'm excited for the next episode and I can't wait to talk about it with y'all talk to y'all later and happy pride month for all my little gay listeners <laughs> I love you. Bye.